0: The reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 53 through to chapter 14 and verse 12. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there, because of their lack of faith. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a dish the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a dish and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus.
1: Well, if you've joined us since the start of the service, can I add my welcome to Mark's? Let me open in prayer. Heavenly Father, As we look at this passage together from Matthew, please give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Please help me to speak your word clearly and faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen. Well, back in 2011, following the phone hacking scandal, James Murdoch, in his appearance before the Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee, was asked by the MP Adrian Sanders Are you familiar with the term willful blindness? Sanders went on to explain that it's a legal term which states that if there is knowledge, you could have and should have had it. Willful blindness isn't limited to the legal sphere, though, and I'm sure we'd all confess to having thought, how could I have been so blind at least some point in our lives? Some might describe it as self-deception. Others might say blissful ignorance, but it's never without consequence. And it appears to be willful blindness that's at the heart of the passage Steve has just read for us. As Mark mentioned, we're starting a new series today in Matthew's Gospel, and we're diving in to a new section halfway through the eyewitness account of Jesus' life. So far, Matthew has been seeking to show us that Jesus is God's promised king who is establishing his kingdom. His explicit aim is to convince us to recognize Jesus' authority as king so that we will follow in obedient courage and share this good news with others. But Matthew is clear that not everyone will respond like this. Jesus will divide and promote controversy with some choosing to accept and others to reject him. In chapter 13, immediately before our passage starts, Jesus teaches in parables to show this mixed response. Jesus is very clear that some will be willfully blind, choosing not to see or to understand who he is. So with this as our backdrop, we're going to look at two different reasons why people reject and failed to see Jesus' identity as God's chosen king. So our first point, verses 53 to 58, blinded by familiarity. Our passage starts in verse 54, when Jesus returns to his hometown and goes to the synagogue to teach. As the people listen to him, they're utterly amazed, expecting to hear an ordinary backwater lad with no religious training They are astounded by his wise and winsome teaching and his miraculous powers and ask the question, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? It's worth noting, they don't ask whether the miracles actually happen. That's just a given. And throughout the Gospels, even those who hate Jesus never deny the miracles took place but they do question what authority Jesus has to do them. So the question behind their question in verse 54 is, who is this man? How can he do these things? How can Jesus perform miraculous signs, heal lepers, restore sight to the blind, cause the deaf to hear all the things that he's been doing, the very things the prophets had predicted that the king that they were waiting for the promised Messiah would do. But rather than concluding that he looks like a king and sounds like a king and therefore is probably a king, they instead conclude he can't be. They choose to ignore the facts right in front of their eyes because they're blinded by familiarity. After all, he's just an ordinary local lad, isn't he? Paraphrasing verse 55, He's just the carpenter's son. His dad put up my shelves and his mother is plain old Mary. I've known his brother James since he was in nappies and Joseph, Joseph, Simon and Judas were at primary school with my boys. His sisters are just over there. They still lead the local girl guide group. We always see them there. He's just one of us, can't be anything special. And rather than exploring further, and seeking to properly examine the evidence. They took offence, verse 57. Literally, they were scandalised. Who does he think he is? How can this man dare to make such audacious claims? Does he think he can lord it over us? And in verse 58, we see Jesus' conclusion about why they responded like this. It was because of their lack of faith. Despite the facts, Their hearts were hard. They willfully ignore the obvious, blinded by familiarity, and unwilling to question their deep-rooted assumptions. But what about you? Could you equally be in danger of being blinded by familiarity to Jesus? Is the narrative that you were brought up believing so ingrained that you've never stopped to question, is it right? Perhaps you've just assumed Jesus was a mythical character or a good moral teacher, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, walking round in flowing robes, without checking, is that right? Or perhaps he's someone you hear about here on a Tuesday or at church, but who has little relevance the rest of the week, without asking, can that be true? We need to be honest with ourselves. Have we kept Jesus at the ordinary level, even put him in a box, because we find it offensive to think that he could be the true king of the universe, as this would affect how we live? Or perhaps you've been a Christian for such a long time that you've become overly familiar with Jesus and stopped seeing the true Jesus or listening to what he really has to say. If you're honest with yourself, Have you lost your awe for him, or even started to take him for granted? Could it be the time to take a fresh look at who Jesus is and why he came? I often enjoy showing my friends around Parliament because they remind me of where I work. I mean, I love their excitement, their amazement at the history and the architecture, their awe at being at the heart of government, the place where decisions get made or supposedly get made. (laughs) They are so eager to spot a famous MP and obviously to tweet about it afterwards. Their enthusiasm helps me to see this place again for what it is and to remember just what a privilege it is to work here. I don't know about you, but I can so easily forget and even treat it as quite ordinary. It's worth asking, have we allowed Jesus to become ordinary? As Jesus says in verse 57, a prophet is not without honour except in his own town and in his own home. Sometimes those of us who are most familiar with something or someone can be in danger of being the most blind. Let's not fall into that trap with Jesus. As we read on, we meet our second example of willful blindness, this time by King Herod. Herod also fails to recognise who Jesus is, this time because he's blinded by sin. So our second point, chapter 14, verse 1 to 12, is blinded by sin. In chapter 14, verse 1, we see that when Herod hears reports about Jesus, he reaches a rather strange and irrational conclusion. This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him perhaps not the most obvious conclusion. To understand why he draws this rather strange conclusion that John has come back to life, we need to understand a bit of the backstory. John the Baptist was a prophet whose God-given mission was to prepare people for Jesus's arrival as king. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, he appears on the scene, teaching that the Messiah was coming So they needed to get ready, repent and turn away from sin. And in verse three, we see John challenged Herod directly on this, telling him to stop his relationship with Herodias, his brother's wife, because it was unlawful. But Herod didn't like being told how to live one bit. So he threw John in prison, even wanting to kill him, verse five. He wasn't prepared to listen to someone telling him what he could and couldn't do, even if it was a message from God. But it wasn't just the blatant sin of immoral living that blinded Herod. It was also a more subtle sin within him, the desire for self-glory. He was more bothered about his reputation and what others thought of him than what God thought of him. He wanted to be king of his own life rather than to make Jesus king of his life. So this led Herod to keep John alive in verse five out of fear of the people and to put John to death in verse nine because of his people pleasing tendencies and his unwillingness to lose face. Look down with me at verse six. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much did he promise with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a dish the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. Herod's sin meant that he not only rejected John's message, but also Jesus the king that John was pointing to. His immorality and sin blinded him to the obvious truth of who Jesus actually is. And in so many ways, I get it. The atmosphere, the drinks, the lads willing him on, the peer pressure to look good, the pretty girl so alluring, so seductive, so easy to drown out that little voice of reason, the prick of his conscience. And yet Herod, at least in his subconscious, Knew what was right. He was a guilt ridden man, and that's why he decided John must have come back to life. His refusal to see Jesus as king wasn't because of lack of evidence, it was because he put his lifestyle first. But what about you? If you haven't yet accepted Jesus as king of your life, could you also be hiding behind the claim that your decision is rational? rather than the reality that it's a moral objection. You don't want to change the way you live. And if we're a Christian here, we need to ask ourselves if we've actually let Jesus be king of our life. Have we really surrendered our choices of how we live to him? Are we willing to listen and obey? Could we be more similar to Herod than we dare to admit really living as though we are in charge and doing the things we want. Could our lifestyle be clouding our vision of Jesus? I'm currently reading a fascinating book by the entrepreneur Margaret Hethman, called Willful Blindness, Why We Ignore the Obvious at Our Peril. If you've read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, it's quite similar in style. In it, she gives a whole raft of examples Nazi Germany, BP's safety record, the dog-eat-dog world of subprime mortgage lending, where thousands of people failed to see or admit the issues in plain sight. Not because they were secret or invisible, but because it was easier to choose not to look or question. The cost of seeing was just too big. Margaret says the reasons for willful blindness are complex. And she says, because we can't take in everything, we select what to take in and what to ignore. She concludes, we therefore admit the information that makes us feel great about ourselves whilst filtering out what unsettles our fragile egos and most vital beliefs. It's worth asking, is Jesus unsettling our fragile egos and vital beliefs? And if so, what are we going to do about it? Margaret goes on to say that despite willful blindness being so pervasive, it's not inevitable. She says whilst we may think being blind makes us safer, it in fact leaves us crippled and vulnerable. She says we make ourselves powerless when we choose not to know, but we give ourselves hope when we insist on looking. The final sentence of her book says, as all wisdom does, Seeing starts with simple questions. What could I know? Should I know that I don't know? Just what am I missing here? So as I finish, can I ask you, could you, like the people of Jesus' hometown and Herod, be being willfully blind to who Jesus is? And if so, are you willing to confront the facts and fears you have about Jesus and his true identity as king? whether you've been a Christian a while or haven't yet made a commitment, are you willing to ask, what could I know about Jesus? What should I know about Jesus that I don't know? Just what am I missing here? Over the next three weeks, we're going to see that Jesus is the divine king who has come with a mission to rescue, a rescue that all of us desperately need. Do come back with an open mind and eyes that are willing to look afresh at the evidence and see where it takes you and if today has left you with questions then do speak to mark or myself we'd be delighted to chat further let's finish in prayer heavenly father what we've heard today is challenging and could be so easy to ignore please don't let familiarity or our lifestyle choices blind us to the fact that Jesus is your chosen king. Give all of us a willingness today to look either for the first time or afresh at who Jesus is and what it really means to follow him. Give us a desire to submit to Jesus' kingship over all aspects of our lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen.